up, everyone? You're listening to episode 11 of season 8 of the Disciple Makers podcast. I'm your host, Dave Stovall, and I'm so glad that you're tuning in. Listen, if you haven't checked out the previous episode, episode 10, you're going to want to click back and listen to that one before you hear this coming episode, because this episode is a response to the teaching in episode 10. So just as a disclaimer, go check that out before listening even further. So in this episode, it's taken again from the Exponential Conference of 2020, where we bring up Jim Putman of Real Life Ministries in Idaho, along with Corey Trimble from The Experience in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, to respond to Shinanke's teaching. And hearing them compare stories of the way that their church is reaching out to the communities where they are is just completely fascinating. And towards the end of this episode, you'll hear Shinanke how they use ex-drug dealers who have become disciples, disciple makers, and church planters to reach out to current drug dealers in their country. It's a fascinating story that comes up towards the end of the episode, so make sure you stick around for that. And as a disclaimer, the audio of this is not that great, so I've tried to make it sound as best as I can for your enjoyment, so please listen past any discrepancies in the audio so you can really get down to what the stories these men are telling about their church and about how disciple-making movements are happening there. So here we go. This is Shidanke, Jim Putman, Corey Trimble, and Bobby Harrington. Let's dive in. Well, Shidanke, I'm going to encourage you to sit down. I'd like to ask Jim Putman if you'd come back up and Corey Trimble. And while these men are coming back up, I, I want to uh, point out a, a really important nuance in this conversation. If you'll notice, the description is to serve with a purpose. So the intention of serving is to show the love of Jesus. And everybody on the stage is, is going to agree that we want to serve people, uh, whether it results in them coming to Christ or not. But the highest aspiration would be that by serving, it would help lead them to Christ. And this is an important uh, delineation from a lot of conversations being had today. So I know Corey, I know Jim, and of course you've heard Shidonke describe it. The highest aspiration uh, for Shidonke is that everyone would have the, the Jesus option. Of course, the highest aspiration is to love God. Uh, and out of loving God to love people, but you cannot love somebody more than wanting them to have salvation and to come and know Jesus, to trust and follow Jesus. So in uh, bringing up Jim and Corey to be a part of this conversation, the reason why these guys are important is that they both lead churches that are having a huge impact in their communities. But one of the distinctives is that they serve their communities. So that which Shadonke is talking about in the disciple-making movement, these two men in their churches are also practicing. So I'm going to start with Jim, who could tell you a lot of stories. But I'm going to ask Jim if you'll just keep uh, tell us one or two quick stories of how Real Life Ministries is serving the community. And then, Corey, I'm going to turn to you. I'll introduce you and have you tell us how this works. 
our ministry, one of one of the key foundations of of the faith as we decide or as we define it scripturally is that uh, Ephesians two eight says you're you're saved by grace through faith, created anew in Christ Jesus for good works which God planned for you to do before time began. That you're saved from something for something. So every believer is a disciple who individually makes disciples. But every believer also has gifts and abilities that work together with the family of God, the body of Christ. So there are some parts of the uh, uh, of discipleship and reaching the lost. It's person on person. And then there are some parts that are best served together as a body of Christ. So we teach everybody to look for needs and minister to the people around them, but also to use their gifts collaboratively in the body of Christ. So as a result of that, uh, we have a sports and outdoors ministry that that uh, uh, takes gifted believers who are passionate about sports, brings them together to reach outside the walls. And so we have hundreds of, of families and kids that are involved in our wrestling program or our football program or soccer or, or basketball, even volleyball. Uh, we feed about 2,000 families a month but, uh, when we created a thrift store that, that makes money so that we could feed into feeding poor families, single moms, single dads, job training. Um, we have a recovery ministry. We have, we have all, all different kinds of ministries because we take somebody who is saved, share them with them or teach them how to share their faith, but also how to use their abilities together. But the emphasis is on reaching outside of the walls, not waiting for people to come to us. So when they get saved, we go into the community, much like Shadonke has been talking about, and go, all right, what are the needs of our community? Now, how do we utilize the believers to meet that need? So right now, uh, huge suicide issues in teams right now. So how do we together meet the needs of the schools that don't have the finances or the abilities to do that and then create things for them, be there for them, taking care of their school supplies, taking care of their food needs for the after-school programs that opens the door to where when they have a real need, they invite us in because we've been there ministering to them on their playing field according to their rules for a period of time uh, because they have church and state rules. So how do we mobilize outside of the walls. And so there, you can imagine there are thousands of stories of ways we've been able to minister to people, both individually, but corporately outside of the walls that's opened doors to every kind of opportunity you could imagine. That's good. So uh, you all had an opportunity to meet Jim in our first session. Uh, I'd like to introduce Corey Trumbull to you. So Corey is the founding pastor of a church in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, uh, called The Experience or The Experience Community. And uh, it was planted about 11 years ago. They've planted three or four churches since then, <clears throat> but they've had a huge impact in Middle Tennessee. And one of the reasons that they've had such an impact, I mean, God's blessing their commitment to preaching His Word unashamedly, uh, God's using them to reach thousands of people. They've literally blown up. But they have a very distinct accent on serving the community. So, Corey, tell us a little yeah, bit about I want to church. say the reason why the church has blown up is because we did this piece that Shadonti talked about. We 
we earned the trust of our community before the community came to church. And we also put our money where our mouth was before the community came to our church. So we have never given less than 20% of our entire budget back to the community. That's what we do. So we have so many churches that we work with. There's so much I can say. I wrote so much down here. Um, there's so many churches that will come to us from all over the country and say, we want to make an impact in our community. And I will say, put less into your building and more into your community. And uh, a lot of churches don't want to hear stuff like that uh, because we gauge our measure of success sometimes on these exterior things that we have more than the actual impact we have in our city. But if churches will um, sacrifice a portion of their budget, and it's interesting not to get off on a tithing bandit, but we ask our congregation to give 10% of their heart and income when the church doesn't model such a thing back to their community. And so our church has set a very high bar for the amount of money we put back into our community. And with that uh, kind of sacrifice and very visible trust that, that our church shows into our city, our city then trusts us back, just like what Jim said, and the doors start to open to where now the mayor of our city comes to the town. We can get involved in schools and do art projects where we go into the women's bathrooms in a lot of the schools and we have professional artists paint these very encouraging things to these women because of the same issues that Jim is talking about, where we can work with the Muslim community, and we have a former imam that works uh, at our church now. His name is Muhammad, uh, ironically enough. And um, so we can laugh at that, right? Okay. Um, so Muhammad works at the church and starts. Uh, he's going to start teaching classes on how to communicate with Muslims. So Shadonke was talking about going into Muslim communities in the United States. Uh, a white guy with a bunch of tattoos and shorts can't run up to a Muslim woman who's married and start telling her about Jesus. It's highly offensive. So we have classes that tell you how to engage the Muslim community and talk with them. Um, but again, I think it's just a matter of if we're going to expect the community to come to our church, we have to show, the church has to show that we also believe in our community and, and want to be there more. The Jesus component will come when people learn that we love them first. And we have to we have to make that a very practical application. I said way too much there. I'm so no, sorry. that was good. Well, what we're saying is that the message of the love of Christ is best spoken as you demonstrate. Well, it almost has to be earned in our culture. There's such a skepticism to us. Yeah. Um, and so I think I, I, we have to kind of earn that voice in our community a little bit. So um, let me um, just say something that ties in with this. Robert Coleman wrote a book, uh, came out in the early 1960s. It's called The Master Plan of Evangelism. It was really um, the, the language at the time was when the word evangelism was really big in churches. But it's really uh, the master plan. Jesus had a master plan of making disciples, and uh, in Jesus' master plan, of course, they would go and follow up on the Great Commission. So 55 years after he wrote that book, uh, we interviewed him <clears throat> and uh, uh, asked him, is there anything that you would change of the eight principles on Jesus' method? Now, at discipleship.org, we describe Robert Coleman's the eight principles in that book, The Master Plan, of evangelism as the gold standard when we talk about Jesus' method of disciple-making. So behind what Jim's advocating, behind what is advocating, would be these eight principles. So when I asked Robert Coleman, is there anything, after all these years, sold like four million copies and all this stuff, translated in all these uh, languages around the world, he said, you know, Bobby, there's one thing I would do differently. 
I had assumed a principle that I didn't articulate. And if I were writing that book today, I wouldn't assume it. I would start with it. And here's the word he gave to the principle. The word he gave to that principle that he assumed that he would write if he were, he would make it explicit today is the word incarnation. And here's what he meant by that. I would start with saying the principle begins with entering into the lives of people to show them the love of God. That's what the incarnation is. It's showing the love of God in their world. And I think really, Shadonke, that's what you're talking about. I think that when we serve people, what we are really trying to do, we somehow in our theology, and that has affected a lot of how we pray, we've always prayed for people, prepare people to go to heaven. We always kind of prepare people to go to heaven. But I think it's hard time we begin to really let heaven invade the heart of the people. Why they're here. Heaven needs to invade their hearts. Because when heaven invades the heart of the people, you're going out there to your neighborhood, and you're going to serve them. You're serving them. And the people will see. You see, one of the things I have realized, to be very honest, I've gone to very restricted Muslim countries, restricted places. And I tell you, they will know the difference. They will know, and they will ask you, why are you different? What makes you different? That question has been asked by so many, so many people when you serve them. Even when it's just relational, the way you treat them, the way you respect them, the way you go out with them, they will ask you that question. You are different. What makes you different? And the way we have coached our disciples is that when you ask that question, it's an opportunity for you to tell them why you are different. Not in a religious way, but in a way that they will see and say, I think I want to be like that. So it is so important that heaven invades the hearts of the people. It's also very important as we serve people. If we are really followers of Christ, when we serve people, let's be very honest. We are demonstrating the love of Christ. And when Christ went out and healed people, he fed the 5,000. Out of that, that's why the people loved him. They realized he was different from the other guys. He did not tell them I'm different, but they saw it. And some people made decisions that this is the guy we want to follow. And when we serve people, that's why we serve with purpose, the people will make a decision. Without, many times we serve in communities, we don't even measure the word Christ. We don't measure the word Bible. We, nothing. We just serve. And the people ask questions. If they are the ones that keep on asking until we tell them the story. It is during the story, some of them come to know, you know, who Jesus is. So I am always saying, we should go out there and do what God has called us to do. I mean, there are stories I cannot tell here because maybe culturally it's not appropriate. But I honestly want to tell you, there are things that God has used as we serve people. There are times I go back, it's so funny. That those simple things, God uses it to touch the lives of people. But let me tell one story of, um, we have people who take drugs. We have a different way we call them back home. And so we did a research in our city and we realized all the places where they take drugs. 
So I brought all the guys who were former, who were also these former drug guys, who were tough in the ranks, had had positions, respected. So we came together, we had a time of fellowship, we did some coaching and training. And I said, each of these places, we're going to reach out to them. And this is how we're going to do. We're just going to love them and serve them. Nobody talks about Jesus, no Bible. And we're going to just go out there and serve them. And so one of the things we decided to do in our own culture, food is very important. So we made some very good food. Got some, what we call, you people call them here, maybe like Cokes. We call them soft drinks. That's how we call them. Got enough water. We went to one of the biggest places where these guys, the tough of the tough guys are there. And we, went, we, we told them first we want to come and have some, a day with you. And they said, please come. You're welcome. So we went there. And we sat with them. There was food to eat. There was music. And those guys as we are coming from the background, this will look radical for some people. But there are times when you deal with the Lord, you have to be radical than the way he was. And now, especially the people who smoke. All the guys I told them, if you have, if you know how to do it, wrap the thing for them. If they are smoking, just wrap it nicely. When you wrap it very nicely, they are going to ask you, how do you know how to wrap this thing? And you will tell them, I was once a king in this. I was a big guy in this. But I want to thank God, this is what happened in my life. Then you tell them your story. And that's what happened. When they were wrapping this thing for these guys, for them to smoke, one of the guys, he wrapped in such a way, and the guy said, wow. He said, an ordinary man will not wrap this thing this way. How did you know how to wrap it? And he shared his story. The summary is that we sat them for the whole of the day, when it was time for us to go, they, back home they have ranks. This is a, they call him 5-0. That means he's a top rank guy among them. He stood up and he said, nobody, he said, nobody has ever come here to serve us the way you serve us. He said, and we, we know that you people are followers of Jesus, but you know what? We want you to send a bus for us this Sunday. All of us in this place. We're all, we want to go to church this Sunday. Wow. And he asks, is that not so? And everybody says, yeah. <laughs> and so on Sunday, we sent buses, five buses. And these guys came. I'm telling you literally, when they came, some of them could not even stand. Because they were so much under the influence. Some of them, they had to help them, to prop them to sit down. After the worship, they wrote me a note and they said, we want to sing a song. They wrote me, they said, I said, oh, this is God's house, come and sing. And they sang a song. And the song is titled, We Are the Church. That's the title of their song. We Are the Church. Now, they were saying, the pews are not the church. The chair is not the church. This building is not the church. But we are the church. We, I mean, the whole church. Everybody stood up. The summary, out of that, 10 of the top guys became church planters. And today, many of them are planting churches. One of them has become the principal of our school that we call recovery school. The 5-0, who was the top guy. He's now the principal of our recovery school. And every what we do is that we bring 60 tough criminals off the street, 60 at a time. You have to be very tough to qualify to come. The best, we bring them and we do it for six months, three days a week, and they meet. We discuss. At the end of the day, this has been so wonderful in touching life, changing their lives. 
in becoming followers of Jesus. I mean, I have testimonies of guys. So, so uh, one of the things I want to point out about his story, yeah, we can clap, you can clap, because I know some of you are clapping. <clears throat> I don't want to interrupt that. One of the things I want to point out is, you know, we would tell a story like that, we'd go, and the ten top guys, they gave their lives to Jesus. Notice he didn't say that. That ten top guys, they became church planters, <laughs> because the norm is making disciples who make disciples who plant churches. I want to take a quick break and tell you about something cool happening over at Discipleship.org. It's our Discipleship.org collective. It's an online community for disciples and disciple makers. And if you fit in either one of those categories, then the collective is designed just for you. The website itself is super cool because it's basically like stepping into a virtual church building with a welcome center, an auditorium for our main events, and even classrooms. Right now, you can get free access to this collective with all of its webinars, seminars, ebooks, and even disciple making assessments for you personally or for your whole church. And this is a community, so you can also have the opportunity to connect with other disciple makers. And while membership is free, there's also a premium access option, which includes courses, certifications, and online gatherings with other leaders from around the world. So head on over to discipleship.org slash collective and sign up for your free membership today. So I want to I wanna have an honest conversation at this point about something that uh, the nuance is important. But um, why is it that so many people, and Jim, I'm going to turn to you, why is it that so many church leaders today want to serve without the desire, like realistic desire, we're going to serve and we're going to ask God to use this to help us win them to Jesus. We just want to serve and do good. That tends to be the norm with a lot of church planters today. Why is that? Well, before before I go there... Um, I want you to understand that, that what he's talking about and what we're talking about shouldn't be the norm. That's what a discipled person looks like. Converted person is, di- is different than a discipled person. God didn't ask us to convert anybody. He asked us to disciple people. And um, a discipled person uh, is taught how to live life uh, as a Christ follower in every area of their life. And they're taught to know that you were gifted for a purpose. And uh, somebody walked alongside them that helped them understand their testimony, uh, their, the gifts, even the, even the gifts, you might not have noticed this, but he knew people that knew how to, to uh, create cigarettes. I'm assuming it was cigarettes and not marijuana, but it's marijuana. Oh, okay. So he knew he knew he knew people that knew how to do that, right? Which meant that they were taught that even your skill sets that were not redeemed could be used to help redeem. And uh, instead of saying, you know, when I got saved, I just felt like all the black marks against me made me unqualified. I didn't realize that that qualified me for a specific kind of ministry. Right. And it wasn't, I didn't get that from a sermon. I got that through a disciple maker who helped me understand that I was saved for a purpose and helped walk me through that purpose. Like Paul walked Timothy through uh, the, to a place of ministry. 
discipleship includes all that. And most Christians don't know that. Uh, I think um, when it comes to... We live in a culture where uh, the absolute belief in Scripture, to answer your question, is that there's a real heaven and a hell, that there's a judgment day, that you are going to one place or another based on what you do with Jesus. Uh, and your job... Uh, here's the deal. You don't have to be unpopular. You, er, let me say it this way. If all you do is meet needs, that makes you no different than Hollywood. Right? People don't want to have to lose something to be a Christ follower. They're trying to find a way to go, can't I be a Christ follower and be liked by the world? Which is why... Uh, things that used to be very black and white spiritually, like homosexuality, women's roles. Name, you name the subject. We're, we're downplaying the importance of, of, uh, those issues because we don't want to be unpopular with the culture. But here's the problem. Once that becomes the, your standard, the gospel itself is unpopular with the culture. If you're trying to be popular, at some point, if you hold to the gospel, which is that we are all have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and judgment is coming, that gospel, which, by the way, is included in the gospel, Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. Uh, Jesus came to, uh, to, to uh, take on the punishment for us so that we could be with it, it, the righteousness of God could be accredited to our account. When you s- start trying to be popular in the culture and shade things, at some point the gospel itself is offensive. Mm-hmm. And again, we don't want to, in Sierra Leone, to be a Christian means that your life is going to be at risk. In the early church, to give your life to Jesus meant that you were going to be baptized 3,000 in one day in the very city in which Jesus had been killed 50 days before, and uh, and there were going to be somebody was going to be killed. Stephen was going to be killed very shortly after. We we're trying to find a way to, to have both things, and we haven't truly died to the old way and risen to a new life. We haven't done that, and we play games with all of this. And instead of just holding to the scriptures and be Christ followers and let the cards fall where they may, we're we're trying to find a way to be popular. And when you do that. When you start shading things, uh, you can gain the popularity of the world in, you know, as a, it, it, by creating some sort of palpable Christianity that the world will like, but you're losing the approval of Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. Yeah. <clears throat> I've, I've had, uh, people, um, uh, with some fairly sophisticated organizations, uh, try to get behind what's the motivation for disciple making movements and, and I asked them, I, I, before I wanted to answer it, I asked them to give me, well, what do you think it is? And I got a list from a guy, and he gave me ten reasons. And not one of those ten was to reach people lost without Jesus. And it just becomes we want to, if the, if the motivation is just to have a more like culturally cool Jesus, um, it falls short. And so, Jim, thank you for being bold and articulate about that. Corey, I want to draw you in here on yeah, this I, point. Yeah, I, I guess I want to express kind of a concern a little bit. I think, because um, I'm over here, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a very practical application guy. I, 
I think where I'm, where I hope we have the time to talk about all of us in this room, I don't think we have to be sold on the idea of community service. And so I would hope that a lot of you in this room want to know how to do this in your town and how to accomplish this in a way that has integrity, in a way that actually meets real needs versus like the inner needs of ourselves. So a lot of people start homeless ministries, not because they really genuinely want to do what's best for the homeless. They start a homeless ministry because it really makes our church look good to do a homeless ministry. And when you read a book like When Helping Hurts, it teaches us that we actually do more damage than good. The majority of the time when we're giving out money and food and doing all the stupid crap that a lot of churches do, thinking that they're blessing their community. So here's what I think we need to be careful of, and I'm going to be a jerk here for a second, is I think sometimes we come here and we're just like, yes, serve, good, yeah, we're awesome, we're wonderful, our hearts are good, and then we leave this place going, we don't know how in the heck to do that. So I think we need to be asking ourselves, are we researching, like what Shadonke and, and like what Jim said, are we looking into our community saying, what do they really need, not what do I want to provide so we look really good, yep. what does our church really need to do in our community? Are we clear to our community how in the heck we're going to accomplish that? And do we want to put our money where our mouth is and sacrifice maybe doing new carpet and instead feeding 2,000 people every month or whatever the case may be? Do we want to accomplish those things? And then how is the gospel naturally going to fit in to that service? Um, and so again, I, 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 I'm getting like anxious over here in my seat right now. And you guys are like, who is this punk from Tennessee? But my... My fear is, is that we often sometimes come together and we say, man, yeah, look at, look at how great the gospel is and the gospel is great and look at how great we are because we want to know the gospel more and tell people about the gospel. But if we don't figure out the how to the what we're doing, we're going to go back to our churches and we're going to scratch our heads and go, what in the heck are we doing? We're still irrelevant in our town. So we're going to have to somehow put some practical legs to these conversations and if you guys don't have those talks at some point during this conference. Um, you might have wasted some time. And so that's a very jerk thing to say. And I think I'm up here like three more times. So I'm really sorry I started <laughs> off like that. But um, uh, so that, Corey, I think it's real practical. This and, is my and, last and exponential get, I'm ever going to be asked to come to. There it was. <laughs> no, no. So <laughs> it, uh, getting very practical is super important. Sorry, guys. Here's something that I think both. Yeah, everybody up here is saying, first of all, what are the needs in your neighborhood or in your area? God supplied your way of meeting those needs in the people that are in your church. Yes. But their real need isn't the food. Yes. It's not the, uh, it's not the sports that we run or whatever. It's a middle ground that we can meet them where, where their biggest perceived need is. That's right. In, in, it, with a very intentional plan for crossing that bridge. Not that you don't cross the bridge ever. You, you, like when we're doing the school thing. I know on separation of state and, uh, 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 school, church and state, we have to play on their turf according to their rules. But our intention is always at what, in, what place do we move from their rules to the talk. How do we intentionally do that? We're not staying over there in their realm uh, because so what if we help them on what they think their biggest need is? If it's not their real biggest need, we've got to make the move. But how do we intentionally do this? So in the end, we're always, if it doesn't lead to here, it's no good. But it's got to start over there. 
And so how do we intentionally put that together? And, and uh, um, understanding that you have the people, if you're making disciples, you will have the people that have the abilities and the heart to meet people where they're at and then to move them into your church uh, at some point. So it's both and, but I, I got to tell you, um, I'll play by their rules on the school because I have to. But when they come on our turf, it's our rules. And the ruler of our rules is Jesus. So when you decide to come to our church, though I have unsaved people there, understand this. We're going to talk about the gospel. We're going to talk about the truth. We're going to talk about God's word here. We're not going to soft sell here on where, where, where Jesus is supposed to rule. We'll soft sell where you guys rule, or you think you rule, and we'll move you to here. And when you guys stop telling the truth about what's right and wrong and trying to speak to the, the, un, the unsaved, use your church service as a place to, to soft pedal, you need to understand this. Um, that's Jesus' territory. And if we don't speak to our own people about what truth is because we're afraid to speak to offend the unchurched people, then the only voice our people ever hear is the unchurched voice. So they think there is no difference. Our Christians have to know what the truth is. And the church realm is where we speak it. And we, we tell them the truth about it. But out there, we'll, we'll play, uh, we'll play softball. Go ahead, Joe. Okay. Yeah, in Jesus in Matthew ten forty five said, "I've come to serve, but not to be served. The Son of Man came to serve, but not to be served." Now, if we are following the Jesus style of discipleship, all of us as disciple makers, and people want to see disciples be multiplied, as disciples and disciple makers, we should serve. If we are following Jesus style, right. we are we are there to serve. The service will take a different trend. And we always start from the from the area of the needs of the people. Look at Jesus. He always started at the area of need. Always in his ministry. Like the woman at the well. Jesus started the discussion from the area. This was a common. They started talking about water. I mean, that was a natural need. But Jesus took that discussion to the spiritual need. What the woman needed was water. That's what she knows. That's what her need calls for. And Jesus did not say it is wrong. You know, but he started the discussion from that point and then said to her, if you really know who you are talking to, you really ask him to give you water that will make you never to test again. Of course, the woman misunderstood this. Oh, I will need that kind of water so I will not come to this world. You know, that's what I understand it. But gradually, at the end of the discussion, that woman ran to the village to tell everyone, come and see. That's where he started. So he, he always did that from the need of the person. <coughs> I mean, look at Jesus asking people, what can I do for you? Blind people. I mean, he, he sees their blindness. It's just easy to say. And he said, no, what do you want me to do? And the person will say, I want to see. And then he will always address them from their place of need. But if you were hungry, he told his disciples, feed them. It was out of their need. Hunger was a problem. But he fed them. Out of hunger came so many people that were hungry spiritually yeah. for the Lord. I think when we are serving, if that becomes part of what the church, we first pray about it. 
You don't need to ask, is this what God wants us to do? He wants you to serve. It's in the scripture. What type of service? Look at your community. In your community, you and your community will decide what that service is going to look like. The supply is going to come from him. And once that is what you want to do, just go there serving the people. One thing that is really affecting our culture, wherever you go, is the place of me. 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 And once we want the me to come out, Christ is out of the equation. Because it's about my doctrine, it's about my church, it's about my leadership, it's about becoming popular. Once that thing is in the equation, Christ will not be there. That's good. But if we put Christ in the equation, it's all about him. We are serving so that his name will be glorified. We are serving so that this city will see Christ through our service. Even if we don't open the gospel to them. But they will know because they know who we are. Yeah. And out of that, the Lord will do what he has to do. So my own encouragement to us is that let's do it the Jesus way. Go out and serve. And you hear so many ways. I will tell you 40%, 40% of Muslims coming now to the Lord is out of dreams. It's out of dreams. So many of them, they dream Christ. Some of them have never seen Christ. They're dreaming. That means he is busy doing what That's right. he's supposed to do. We should be busy doing what he has called us to do. And he will show up. He's always faithful. In discipleship making and planting churches, it's a divine partnership. God's own part and our own part. Yeah. Paul said, I planted, Apollos watered, but God brought the increase. It's a divine partnership. Many times we are worried about God's own part. We God show up. No, no, no. Forget about his own part. He's always faithful. He will always show up. The problem is us. Are we faithful? Will we do it the way he wants us to do it? Will I show up? You just show up and believe him. He will always show up and do it his own way. Lastly, he's not going to do it the way you want him to do it. That's our other disappointment. Because we make all our goals, our projection, our style and our outcomes, our measurements and our metrics. And then we say, God, come and walk through this by system. Walk through my system that I've set so that people will know that my system is working. You know, God looks at you and he just laughs. He says to you, look guy, even though you have a 10,000 church, I will not walk through your system. Walk through my own system. So that the world will see that my system works, which is my world. Let everybody be a liar, but let God be true. That's good. Thank you. Now, so, let me ask you a question. You don't mean there is no system you promote. There's a system always. Okay. So you're not swinging the pendulum to there is no system because you guys have one. We have a system. You just don't, it, but it, it's... The system is not, it's not a system that makes the team work. The system is there to guide us. But the issue here is that before even we do systems, we go to God. See, but I, wish, I wish we had more time to talk about systems. Yeah. Because you and I, we, I think, are on the same frequency we, right now. Let me so just say this. I, we I just will, wish we had more time well, to talk we, about We it. will have more time. In fact, what we're talking about is a system. Yeah. yeah. This, the, the principles we're going through, it's right. a system. It begins with fasting and prayer, yeah. and it's serving with purpose. We're going to talk next about finding a person of peace. That's all the system. And let me just tell you, because I know <clears throat> uh, why this is something that's so important that Jim's speaking up. So many people don't realize you have to have a system. Yes. But you, what Shironke is saying is, 
Don't put your system first. Let your system facilitate what God's doing, but don't try to force God into your system. You build your system around the word of God. Yeah. And then you have the faith and God works within the system because it is his word. <clears throat> so so the reality is every church leader, you are the architect of the disciple making system in your church. Now you may have inherited that from somebody else, and so you've got to work on that. But uh every um, culture has a disciple making system. So thank you for bringing that up. In fact, let me just commend Shadonke and Jim and Corey for holding things in tension that are both true at the same time. We have to love with the gentleness of Jesus who is meek and mild, and we have to boldly proclaim the gospel at the same time. And it's so easy to think it's one or the other, and it's both. Well, I hope that you enjoyed that episode and I hope you could get something out of that that encourages you where you are in your church and in your community. Um, stay tuned. Next episode coming up, Shinake teaches us about finding a person of peace. That'll be episode 12 coming up. So make sure you go over to that. And while I'm talking about it, I would just love to ask you personally, please subscribe to the Disciple Makers podcast. I would love for you to continue to use this as a resource in your own life and in your own spiritual journey. And as a reminder, coming up November 4th and 5th, 2021 in Nashville, Tennessee, discipleship.org is hosting a national disciple making forum again. It's going to be an incredible time. We'll have speakers like Elisa Childers, Ariana Rimson. It's going to be an incredible time. So make sure you go over to discipleship.org and buy your tickets today. And I look forward to seeing you guys there. Thanks so much for listening. I'll see you next time.